Know your rights. Know the law. The Law Report with Michael Matwining Bill. Welcome to The Law Report. My name is Michael Matwining Bill. What are we talking about tonight? We're talking about two things in the second part. And I think uh, you will be looking forward to the second part because it's something that really affects you. And uh, I really look forward to engaging you on, uh, you on that. We're talking about wills. And why are we talking about wills? Because September... Uh, it is Wills Week, and we're going to be talking about some of the important um, requirements for having a will, um, and also, you know, pointing in the right direction if you wanted to get your will done for free. Yes, that's what's happening uh, by most lawyers um, this month, so you can look forward to that. But we're also going to be talking about what happens when you don't have a will. Um, so that's the second part. For the first part of the show, we're going to be talking about defamation. So that's what you can look forward to today. Know your rights. Know the law. The Law Report with Michael Matuining Bill. Okay, I'm joined on the line um, by my guests. And, and, and I think perhaps, you know, when we talk social media, um, this thing is something that is growing, it's developing. And I always say this and I always make this point. Because it's new, it's informed by technology, its spread is, is, is different from traditional news we're going to be talking a lot about it because it affects how our current laws apply. And, and there's a lot of attempts to keep our law abreast with some of these developments and technological developments, as it were. So social media has become a prominent form of communications. Messages, comments, posts conveyed via social media may have numerous ramifications which could potentially lead to legal action or prosecution. And you would have noticed, for example, over the last couple of weeks, uh, there's been Twitter trends on naming and shaming of men that have allegedly sexually harassed women in the past. And that's what we're talking about today. You know, so one can understand if you are a woman and you've been subjected to sexual harassment or sexual assault of any form, shape, uh, form or shape, um, you might want to say, uh, add your name and name and shame your perpetrator, as it were. Um, but of course, this has legal ramifications. So helping me to understand some of these legal ramifications is my guest, who's an attorney, um, uh, Diana Sartz. Uh, Diana, thank you so much for talking to me this evening. Are you well? Hi, Michael. Good evening. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Yeah. You know, so when you look at, um, you know, the current situation, um, we are, our women are under siege. I mean, this has not been... Um, you know, one one can say, and I, and I know a lot of people would be saying, you know, this month has not been a very good month for women, but but I'd certainly say this decade has not been very good um, for 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 a lot of women and uh, and and children. So so they, on the one hand, there's that point of view where where women are saying, well, enough is enough. What can we do? So let's do everything in our power to make sure that we discourage the growth of this thing. But there's also the law. So maybe let's just talk about, you know, what, what, what your thoughts are on, on, you know, naming and shaming on social media of these alleged perpetrators. Um, sure. So I think, obviously, with, with um, last week being such a harrowing week for women in South Africa, mm. and um, as you mentioned, the past decade, I can certainly understand why women have taken to social media to name and shame um, you know, the alleged perpetrators of sexual harassment or sexual offences. Mm. Um, and I can certainly understand that the, the, the uh, view behind that is to um, alert other women to, to this epidemic and to potential perpetrators of these actions. Mm. However, 
If an alleged perpetrator is not um, has not been formally charged mm. and uh, prosecuted and gone through a trial, naming and shaming them can have serious consequences for the actual poster of the content. Mm. Um, so it, it's a difficult thing, and I understand where women are coming from, also myself being a woman, mm. and also wanting to stop the violence against women in South Africa. Mm. But I think what is key for women to understand is that we also need to protect ourselves from further action being taken against us. So if there is someone that you has, has committed a, a, a crime against you, a sexual offence, or has harassed you, your first port of call should be um, placing charges against that person criminally for yeah. that action. Mm. And unfortunately, social media is so easy, and we all think that we have an absolute right to freedom of expression and we can say what we like on these platforms, which a lot of people are now finding out isn't the case. And we can be held liable for these actions. Um, so I think it is quite a difficult situation that South African women find themselves mm. in. But we also have to consider that the alleged perpetrator um, or the, the man in the, in the circumstance or the person being accused also has rights in terms mm. of the law and also has a right to... Um, you know, privacy has a right to protection of their reputation and, um, you know, they, they should be, um, they can exercise those rights. And if something is published on a public platform, as we know, we're talking about defamation here, that is one of the elements of defamation. And we're finding more and more in our courts and more and more cases on social media where people are being found guilty of defamation, where we're posting, um, things about people of a defamatory nature which have not been proven to be true and harms that person's reputation. Mm. So, so I mean, you know, I, I, I get and, and, and obviously nobody can can say that, you know, women shouldn't report the cases. But, but I'm imagining some of the women that resort to social media might be reporting things that are not recent, so things that may have happened some years ago or when they were children. Um, and, and does that change anything at all? And what would the legal advice be to, to women who find themselves in those situations? Because I'm sure there are many. Unfortunately, um, at this stage in our law, um, it is still the same. Even if this happened years ago mm. and we're now just bringing it up, the fact, if a person hasn't been prosecuted, it's a very different story. If somebody has been prosecuted and found guilty of a sexual offence or sexual harassment, and then this is put on social media, there's no problem with that. Sure. It is truth. It has been proven to be true. But unfortunately, if that person hasn't been charged and gone through a criminal proceeding, um, and found guilty at the end of that criminal proceeding, it is defamation of character and it could also impair that person's dignity. I mean, we've all heard of the cases of criminaluria, which is the unlawful intentional impairment of a person's dignity. Mm. And putting it out there on public platforms that this person is a sexual harasser or um, a rapist can impair that person's dignity and therefore they can also charge um, these women with criminaluria as well, which is a criminal offence. Um, there's also the aspect of obstructing justice um, in terms of the Criminal uh, Procedure Act. Mm. Uh, charges can be laid for obstructing justice as well. Because basically in the Criminal Procedure Act, um, at Section 154-2B, it states that in rapes, um, in rape cases or sexual offences cases, no information may be published by any person uh, relating to the charge before the accused has pled guilty. 
So when we are now identifying people before they've even had a chance to plead guilty or not guilty to an offence in court, mm. that is actually prohibited by the Criminal Procedure Act. Mm. Um, and it goes, and it's not only to protect, the, it's, you know, I think most women may think, well, Diana, what you're saying is these, these guys are protected. Um, you know, even if they've been charged, they're still protected until they plead guilty or not guilty. But these laws have also been put in place to protect the identity of the rape victim as well and witnesses because generally sexual offence cases and rape cases are treated and are very sensitive nature. So no information around that can be published until certain facts have been established. Um, I think it even goes further in the mm. case of children. Um, also in the Criminal Procedure Act, they talk in Section 154.3, it also prohibits the publishing of any information that may reveal the identity of an accused a person under the 18 years of 18 years of age or a victim or a witness in any criminal proceedings, trying to predict the identity of children who are, are people defined under the age of 18 years of old. Okay, so I get that there's the class, and and I and I think you know, thank you so much for sharing sharing that. So there is a class of 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 cases where you are specifically prohibited from mm-hmm. from naming uh, uh, the accused person or even the details of the act, where um, you know where, where before the person pleads guilty, and and I imagine that applies largely to third parties. It doesn't apply in relation to the 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 victim themselves. I could be wrong, but and no, it's, it's what the what the act says. It's no person, so any mm, person. Mm, it's not only the victim. Mm. So okay, but but okay. So that that's the one class of uh, of it where somebody is going to you know hasn't pleaded guilty. So perhaps as a victim, well, not even mm. pleaded guilty, but just mm. haven't pleaded yet. Right, right, indeed. So so now I'm just thinking now of 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 perhaps a. a uh, something of, of of a broader class, right? Where uh, maybe if we were just to name it, because there's a, there's there's a place where I, I maybe want us to engage. What's the worst that could happen to to me as a victim? Now I'm not mm-hmm. stating in you know where a third party as a victim where I haven't reported the matter to the police for whatever whatever reasons I may have, and and we know that this is is not a rare occurrence where people, in fact, sure. when you read the stats. Most of the rapes uh, or sexual violence and the sexual acts are not reported, so I haven't done it, and I and I've elected not to report it to the police, and for whatever reason, I then feel compelled to publish it, either in in the social media or through which whichever form. What's the worst that could happen to me? In other words, what what can I expect to happen um, to me um, as 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 a victim? Um, so obviously now then that's where we have the, the accused person um, mm. bringing across their remedy. So yeah. they would then be able to, if, if we have not reported it and we have not gone through a criminal proceeding and we've published it, yeah. for whatever the reason may be, mm. um, the accused person can can sue for defamation civilly. Okay, so the one um, is I could be sued or the victim can be sued for, the alleged victim can be sued for defamation, one. Yes, that's correct. Um, two, they could be charged with criminal urea. Mm-hmm. Which, which, is, is which is another kind of defamation, but one that attracts criminal, a criminal sanction. That's correct, yep. yes. 
Um, and um, yeah, I think. The, okay, I but think I mean, I mean, is that is that yeah. really the end? And because I, you know, I, 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 I think it's it's sort of an an intriguing thing because I know, for example, when I deal with defamation cases, the mere fact that I've said something bad about you, you know, the mere fact that I've said, for example, that X is corrupt or X is a rapist does not mean I, I might have defamed you but does not mean that I've I, I've defamed you in law um, or that I've acted wrongfully so what what if I can show that yeah. even though that even though there hasn't been a, a, a prosecution and I don't intend to pursue it that way what if I yeah. can prove during that defamation claim that my allegations of rape or sexual assault or or, 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 or whatever kind of um, uh, conduct was is true if if it's if you can prove that it's true, then it's not defamation, right? Because defamation is defamatory matter, um, which is either not true or causes reputational impairment. But of yeah. course, if we are publishing things that are true and it causes reputational impairment at the same time, um, that is your defence. The defence sure. is truth, um, and therefore okay. You so truth is a defence to defamation. Yes. Okay. All right. So Afropolitan, yeah, you, you have it, Afropolitan. So, so, so first prize, when you have something reported to the police or else you may be sued for defamation, in which case, and, and maybe we'll, we'll just talk about that process about, you know, how that plays out. Because, I mean, even being sued for defamation and we've seen uh, lately defamation cases have been flying about. Um, yes. um, and uh, we'll we'll talk about that in greater detail. So don't do it. But if you have done it, you may be sued for defamation, and then you would have to. Uh, if you are then sued for defamation, you have to show that it's true. Now let's talk about that process, Diane, because because yes. you know just for somebody who hasn't had any running in with with a court of law and is interested to know how that itself would play out, what would a court look at? Because and and I'm thinking of it this way, right? So if I'm if I'm reporting you to the police, um, there might be one hurdle that I'd have to overcome or different kind of evidence that I'd have to lead for me to succeed at criminal law. But if I'm at defamation level where I just need to show it's true. So I'm just, I just want to, you know, paint a, a very vivid picture to the Afropolitans uh, um, where, where you and I, you know, you and I may, may know. But for the benefit of the Afropolitans, how does that play out in court now where you are now being sued? You are one of the uh, hundreds of women that have gone to social media and have named and shamed. What what's the worst that or or how do you then deal with a lawsuit that that may materialise? So of course our courts will obviously uh, look at the merits of each case on the individual circumstances, mm-hmm. um, and they will look at the elements of defamation, um, which is intention is a huge thing. Um, to look at was it intentional and of course in this case it would be intentional yes. because we want to bring to light what has happened to us mm-hmm. um, they will look at the publication um, where it was published uh, the platforms etc etc the extent of any any sort of um, reputational damage or harm it's, it's caused to the um, complainant or the plaintiff mm-hmm. and um, they will look at a whole bunch of factors uh, relating to that so you know, um, the victim would then have to come before the court and explain um, why did I post this and why is it not defaming the person and how is it true? So this is the tricky part is how do we now prove that this is true? Do we have a witness to say I 
I, I saw this um, taking place, this harassment or this offence. Mm. Um, how do we prove that? Do we have a doctor's report? Um, and that's where the tricky uh, situation comes in when mm. we are sitting in a court of law to say, um, yes, I was raped. Yes, I was sexually harassed. And this is the proof. Mm. And, you know, this is why we have, unfortunately, the law hasn't quite supported our women in this because we... In earlier days, long ago, we had the corroboratory rule, um, and it almost sounds like, as I'm speaking to you, it sounds like we need that corroboratory rule again, mm. um, which is not fair. Um, but we will have to show to the court that these facts are true, because um, if they are indeed true and the court finds them to be true, um, then we will not be guilty of the defamation or the damages. So, so what it looks like, it looks like, um, although you know, although the the burden of proof would be different, and 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 for yes, those that have listened different. to the law report long enough would know that at you know for criminal law you need to prove beyond a reasonable doubt, but at civil law, being the the defamation case, um, in fact, as the one, <laughs> so it's actually interesting in defamation how the the own the onus shifts, right? Yes. Uh, but once it then shifts to you as the defamer, uh, I'm sure there's a better word, which is not coming to me at the moment. So uh-huh. it means that you now have to show in the balance of probabilities that what you said yes. is true. And isn't it then kind of taking us back now where, you know, even the situ- as you were describing the situation of proving that it's true, yes, the onus is, is less. It's, it's, it's a lesser it onus. Less. But it seems to me that you are almost going through the same trouble that you would have gone through if you had reported the case to the police. Criminally correct. So, that, so that's, um, that's really the moral of the story, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I think if you are going to take it to social media, um, you can expect for these things to happen and then you would have to be prepared for that. Mm, and mm. if you didn't want to go through that initially, you know, going through that on a secondary basis is also not great. Mm. However, at least in your favor, you've got, a, a, a you know, sort of a lesser onus, as you said, on a balance of probabilities as opposed to beyond a reasonable doubt, mm. which, you know, could obviously count in your favor. Um, and, you know, the thing is, uh, with social media law, thing, it, it is becoming more prominent and people are becoming, uh, you know, learning more about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, unfortunately, you know, accused men um, or accused perpetrators or alleged perpetrators will learn of their rights in, in relation to what they can do. Mm. They have been named and shamed. And, and often um, these, these perpetrators are fi- find themselves in quite powerful positions where they can afford exactly. to, to to procure exactly. the services of lawyers exactly mm. um so so yeah i mean it is it is a risk um that you take mm. um what if you do want to post something um but you know i think uh knowledge and applied knowledge is power and knowing your rights as your show does um educate everybody on and your the legal rights that you have and the things that could happen empowers the person so mm. if you know these are the risks if I do this and this is what I will have to go through possibly and this is what I would need to prove. Mm. So, you know, my take home from all of what you've said is, is and, 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 I, and I look forward to maybe your take home and your parting shot, but, but mine on this topic, uh, you know, after talking to uh, Diana Swartz, I'm going to be, uh, uh, we're going to be taking a break and after that we're going to be talking wills so so if you have any questions related to wills um, if you have any concerns relating to what happens after you die 
you want to stay tuned because we're going to be taking all your calls and 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 trust me there's a lot to talk about there and there's a lot certainly to take home but my take home on this one diana is um when you you know so so i can understand the frustration of of a of a woman that they might feel uh, after being subjected to to a sexual assault of whatever kind yes. but it, but as you were try as 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 you were dealing with and explaining the process of even just being sued and now you're a defendant and now you need lawyers that process seemed so onerous to me that and 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 so stressful that you know i think that if there's any advice that i would give to women out there is rather endure that stress you know the same stress you'd get in a defamation case you'd get more or less in a criminal case rather rather okay. suffer and endure that stress in at a criminal forum where the perpetrator concerned so if you take it to the police and you go through that stress at least the end result of that is that the criminal uh, the the perpetrator um, gets sent away and you're making sure that they don't repeat it either to yourself or to some other woman out there and yeah. whereas in a defamation case if if you defame and you win it just means that you don't have to pay somebody damages but you don't exactly. that, that person is still in the street so that's my take home and that's my advice i don't know what your parting shot is diana um michael i think i agree with you 100 mm. percent um i think that this should not silence women and mm. um, and not make them more afraid than they have been mm. and to think oh well now we thought we had social media and i count the corner and we can do this and now we can't no mm. yes you, you can't do that mm. there are ramifications but don't let it silence you please go and report it criminally uh. because as you say if, if it's not reported criminally and dealt with at that point what are the what are the what is the punishment for these offenders mm. at the end of the day? And mm. um, so that would be my word to the women: please don't be silent, and make your voice known, but do it in the right platforms and in the right with the right procedures. Well, you know, and I, and I think that's a very good um, that's a very good closing remark. Uh, where you know one of the biggest problems and and I get that the biggest problem is the men that rape so I I accept that and 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 certainly don't mean to dilute that point but yeah. what can we do to deal with the problem is by taking your advice and not be silenced do something about it um and make sure that 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 you use the law and 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 you know perhaps asking you this question and i and i knew i said that the previous question would be my last asking you <laughs> ask asking you as a woman but also as a lawyer um are, are do you feel that can 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 women in this country trust in the legal system um so such that they should be encouraged and not fear it to report cases to the police and see to the prosecution of these perpetrators that 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 and uh, that not only make the rest of them you know us men look bad but they make our country look bad and yeah. and 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 they make our country a place that is not ideal to bring up a, a girl child even speaking as a as 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 a man yes mm. um so my answer to that would be unfortunately no mm. Um, in my view, I don't think that um, our police, <clears throat> sorry, our police stations and our police force um, 
are fully equipped to deal with these cases. Yeah. I think that there needs to be a lot more work done um, in terms of how to deal sensitively and uh, properly with evidence and how to treat the victims in these matters when they report um, you know, the offences because um, I think that is the main reason we, that we are where we are is mm. that um, it is not an easy process. It's, mm. it's actually very, very difficult. Mm. And it's very um, hard on the victim who has to walk into a police station and then give her an um, account of, of what happened to some most of the time to a male police officer. Mm. And, you know, unfortunately, there is still a stigma attached to rape and sexual offences as much as they, it shouldn't be there. It yeah. is still there. Mm. Um and that old corroboratory rule that we had in the past that, you know, it had to be corroborated is one of those stigmas that, you know, still actually exists in modern day. Mm. So um, I think there's a lot of training that needs to be done of our police force in a lot of areas, but definitely in the area of sexual offences. And I hope that we have organisations out there who are perhaps listening. Um, I work with one of these organisations, the Fulman Publication Board, and they actually do training um, with the SAPS, but on child pornography mm. um, and things like that, which I think is so important because if we have organizations who are willing to um, assist uh, governments as well with training of our SAPS in these different crimes that we have, because it's not only child pornography, it's not only rape or sexual offenses, it's now human trafficking as well. Mm. And they need to be equipped to know how to handle this. Mm. Um, and I think that uh, there is a lot of work still to be done. Mm. Uh, a bit of note, but um, hopefully, you know, I did hear um, the president, and I'm sure, I'm sure many of us has, have heard this many years over and over again. Uh, but hope, I hope, hope that one of the statements and one of the rallies and one of the speeches um, is true, where the the, the current president. Um, uh, tells us um, that there's going to be rape kits that are put in police stations, and that we'll be seeing an improvement. Hopefully, that that is true because I think yes. you, you're quite you, you're quite on the spot where the weakest link around sexual assault and sexual violence and rape is at the police station level. Because I know that speaking as a lawyer, I can't criticize the laws themselves, but certainly yes. where you point the problem to, I can second that. So thank you so much, Diana Swartz. Diana Swartz is an attorney at Diana Swartz Attorneys. Thank you so much, Diana, for joining us. Thank you, Michael. Have a great evening. Thank you so much. We're going to take a break. Uh, and when we come back, we're talking wills, we're talking interstate successions. So, you know, have you got your things in order? You know, what happens if you drop down and die now? What's going to happen to your kids? Uh, give us a call. Uh, we'll be taking your calls. We'll be taking your comments. The number to dial 86 We're back after this. Call us now. 86 Welcome back to The Law Report with me, Michael Matuning Bill. We're going to move on to the next part of the show. Um, and this is where we talk about something that every person should be thinking about, particularly if you are over the age of 18. Um, and you have people that you care about and you're worried uh, what might happen to them if you die. And, and, and I guess we always talk about if you die because it's probably the, the more familiar uh, event that takes place But sometimes you don't die Sometimes you just uh, Incapacitated So I'll talk about what that means Where where you no longer are able to, to Manage your own affairs What would happen to all the things that you hold dear today So, And uh, what provisions have you made For that 
um, and that's our show. So I do look forward to your calls and engaging with you on this on this on this issue, and 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 this month is 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 particularly special um, because we're celebrating Wills Week, where most lawyers that are registered with the Law Society make available their services of helping you with wills for free. Um, so between um, some days, and I'll check, I'll verify those days, but um, sometime next week, um, we will be having Wills Week. Um, and uh, if you want to find a lawyer that is close to you, you can go to the Law Society's website. You, uh, you know, we you can even come to MBA, uh, my firm, Attorney Bill Attorneys, where we'll also be hosting Wills Week. Um, so, so there we go. So let me let me let me look forward to your calls. And, and please, uh, before I welcome my guest, um, do call. We have. Um, about 29 minutes to deal with all your calls. So take full advantage of it. Don't call at 52. Call now. The number to dial is 86 My guest is Debello Motwani. Almost like me. Debello, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome. <laughs> Hi, Michael. Thank you for having me and good evening to your listeners. Yes, I see uh, you're an attorney, but also you're the founder of Sister in Law. What is that Correct. about? Sister Law is a company, but rather more active on the social media space, right. which I founded to, you know, empower women through legal education. Yeah. Because I found that there were a lot of issues pertaining to child maintenance, marriage, divorce, um, child custody that women weren't aware of. So yes. that's how Sister Law started. And I mean, because I'm a lawyer, I just thought that would be a very nice, catchy name. Yeah, so I'll be welcoming as well Peggy uh, Sisa Gorto. Um, he's um, um, he's an attorney as well, just helping us um, understand some of these issues. But but perhaps let's just talk about you know the I, I mentioned in the preamble to the to the show Tebello, um something called incapacitation, and and maybe let's talk about that because very few of us think about you know we always think about death, and we all. Oh, not all, but most of us certainly do have funeral mm-hmm. policies because that's something that is well-marketed, well-promoted, and probably more glaring. But incapacity is something we seldomly talk about. 100%. Mm. So what um, we do have is a document called a living will, mm-hmm. and that can be used in an instance where, you know, while a person is in hospital and they still have sound mind, they can put together a document which will state that in the case that um, surgery goes wrong and I become I, I, I become into a vegetative state, what are the directions that the doctor should follow? Sure. Should they not resuscitate me or um, you know, what should follow in the event that the surgery does not go well? And that living document is basically direction um, for the medical practitioner and it has no effect once the person has died. So in as far as inca- incapacitation goes, uh, a court can assign a curator depending on the level of disability of a person. Mm. Obviously, this generally happens if they've been mentally ill for quite some time and it's not necessarily due to a procedure that went wrong in hospital. Begisi mm-hmm. Sagwatko, uh, thank you so much for joining us and welcome. Yes, thank you, sir. I just like sure to welcome the listeners. And everyone is in the studio. Indeed, thank uh, you. Yes, so let me just shoot straight ahead. I mean, what are the you know? So, so if I die with a will, that's one thing. But what happens if I die without a will? Well, the first thing that you should understand is that uh, people that die uh, without living 
a valid will, mm. their uh, estate will have to devolve in terms of the Interstate Succession Act, 81 of 1987. Then after, there are so many uh, issues that surrounding that uh, uh, Interstate Succession, mm. uh, as far as whether the people died, whether living behind the spouse, descendants, and so forth. So it, the, the circumstances will just depend on each case as it comes. So, Devil Lamontswani, if I could bring you back in, I mean, so how how does the law know? I mean, I don't have a will. Who, who gets my stuff? Um, so, the way interstate succession works is that it will be a surviving spouse mm-hmm. and your dependents. This can be biological children or children who are legally adopted. Mm. So, if there are no, um, if there is no spouse and there are no children, then it will go to your parents. If your parents are also deceased, then it will go to your siblings, so your parents' children. Mm. So that's how it works um, in, in terms of interstate succession. The way I like to explain it to my clients is that it goes down before it goes up, and then it goes to the side, if that makes sense. <laughs> that's the easiest way to remember it. If you have children, it goes down. If you don't have children, it goes to your parents. Okay. <laughs> Okay, exactly. if you don't remember that, I mean, I wish, you know, like there's some people that teach uh, that way, um, uh, I mean, you'd remember a teacher of yours giving you that kind of example, right? So if you taught me, that's how I'd remember it for the rest of my life. And I think that for politicians, if it doesn't go, what what did you say? <laughs> if it doesn't go down, it goes up, right? It goes down before it goes up. It goes down before right. it goes up. Right. So your children, right. your spouse, All right. if you have no children, then it goes to your spouse. Now, now, who who administers my estate? I mean, I die interstate. Um, what then happens? And 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 this is a very important question um, because you know we we tend to die. We you know we our practice is you die, we bury you, and then on the second week we put your clothes for sharing and then get and then pretty much after that it's you know. Everybody does pretty much what they like. What is the process or what do I do the moment my loved one die, whether interstate or not? The problem with not having a will is that you haven't now chosen an executor. And usually what happens is that in the will, you would have um, elected an executor Mm. who you the one to administer your will. Mm. So if you die interstate, then you have to go to the master's office, which is generally close to the high high court um, in your area of jurisdiction. And the master will give direction as how an executor can be appointed. And it could be someone from the family or it could be someone assigned by the master of the high court. We're talking about what happens when you die. That's what we're talking about today. If you have any questions for my guests at the Debel Lomotwani or Begisi Sakoto, do give us a call. The number to dollars zero eight six double zero double zero nine five nine. I want to take a break. And when we come back, we'll be having more of this conversation. Know your rights. Know the law. The Law Report with Michael Matuening Bill. Welcome back. It's 19 minutes before 9 o'clock. Um, at the top of the hour, Sutumea, she's going to be up next. Uh, uh, but for now, we're having a conversation and I'm joined on the telephone by my two guests, uh, Debello Matuene, uh, as well as Begisi Sagotro. And we're talking about what happens when one dies and what provisions um, one has made. So this is something that that you got to be really thinking about 
very hard this month if you don't have any provisions. And even for those that do, I mean, what, what might have been the situation five years ago is not necessarily the case now. So you might want to review your, your affairs as it were. So the good news is um, it's going to be Will's Week and during the course of next week. Um, and um, you can find uh, attorneys that can help you with your will free of charge. So, so take advantage of that and get your house in order as it were. So we're, we're, before we went on the break, if I can bring you back in, Begisisagoko, um, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, have just been brought to my attention is when you look at the constitution, for example, it says that children are paramount, right? Um, in all matters pertaining to them or their interest at least. Um, but one thinks about this freedom of now drafting a will. So I can do a will and I then want to donate my entire estate to the SPCA, but I have children. I was just wondering for the benefit of, of the Afropolitans, what would, you know, how would the, you know, how would the, this constitutional provision apply in, in that situation where the same constitution uh, endorses my freedoms and, and even the freedom of choice. And I have chosen to give my estate to um, the SPCA. Uh, well, I, I'm not too sure whether I caught your question very well. Mm-hmm. I think my run is too bad. But no, 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 I'm happy to repeat it because I'd rather you you, you answer a question that, 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 that you... <laughs> I <can> understand. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So I, I, I was making the proposition that they, they, you know, one wonders how it plays out where on the one hand, the constitution says the interest of the child shall be paramount. And on the other hand, I have a freedom of choice. And I was thinking, what happens in a situation where I've exercised my right to have a will? And in that will, I have di- dictated that my estate shall devolve upon or shall be given to the SPCA. And I haven't bequeathed anything to my children. How does that balance out in real life? And and I and I guess this might seem like an academic question, but it's it's really not because I could choose my mistress over my children. I could choose my my whomever over over people that you'd ordinarily think I should be caring for. So I just wanted to sort of see how far this freedom of of testation really stretches. Well, uh, well, the, the issue uh, surrounding that situation, well, firstly, it should be so strange for you uh, to dispose of your assets without giving anything to your descendants. It happens. To your children, but it can happen in any event. Uh, but uh, in that situation, what matters most is that if you die and you have left behind the will, is mm. that whatever that you have left behind has to evolve in terms of your wishes and the wishes obviously are there on your will. Uh, if you have just decided not to give anything uh, to your children, then that, that's your choice, obviously. Mm. Uh, the only situation that can arise is where perhaps you are married in terms of property and you bequeath all of your properties to, the, to, 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 to someone else and obviously living outside your wife and that particularly can bring a problem because your wife is entitled to have share of that uh, of that estate of that estate mm. but uh, in as much as the issues of the children are concerned in my view is that if you decrease uh, all the estate because it is your estate in any event there's nothing your children can do so whoever that has to inherit 
will have to inherit in terms of the will. Mm. And uh, there's nothing that they can do. You, you, I mean, w- would they, for example, I mean, when, when you are alive, they can claim maintenance from you. Um, would they be in a position then to be able to claim maintenance for you from you when you are when you are deceased? Well, well, the, the issues is uh, relating to, to to maintenance um, are, are presumable in that uh, because in certain instances is that uh, uh, sometimes you find that people are respected in terms of their age. Mm. It's highly unlikely that you will find a dependent of uh, thirty-six years old coming to his parent of. Yeah, so so your line your line is a little bit bad. Can I? Can you, so I'm not sure if you, you can hear us. And um, uh, I'm not sure if you've been hearing our questions. Debella, are you there? Is your I line can, better? I can hear you. Yeah. I Did you get you. my question to 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 Peggy Caesar? I couldn't hear him a little bit. I think you. Yeah. So I, I was asking. You know, uh, really, in essence, you got a situation where. The and and it happens. So sometimes you've got three children. I mean, sometimes the the example of the SPCA might seem a little bit remote. I've got three children, and for some reason, I then bequeath my estate to two and not the third. Yeah, um, um, and, and 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 one wonders whether, you know, given my freedom of testation, my freedom mm-hmm. to draft the will, and 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 for it to to you know devolve devolve in accordance with my wishes, what what are the options that are available to my children or, or even any other person that might have a legitimate interest um, in, so in, in my money. Ordinarily, if, if there is a party who wants to contest the will, they are well within their rights to contest the will. But for the longest time, the law has um, you know, protected freedom of gestation mm. and has enabled anybody to distribute their estate in accordance with how they want to. So you can literally leave everything to one child mm. to the exclusion of the other two or you can leave everything to two children. I mean, there must be internal reasons as to why a parent would only choose two children and not the third child. But if anybody believes that um, the, 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 the testator may have been under duress when they were concluding the will, then they can always contest it in court. And what of the right to maintenance? So, mm, well, mm-hmm. usually it takes about six months to wind the estate. Yeah. So during the um, while they're busy with the liquid liquidation of the estate, a party can claim maintenance from the estate, but that will only be for the first six months until the estate has been wound up. After that, then everybody will inherit as per the will. And and if I have a two-year-old that's probably going to need maintenance for the next sixteen or eighteen years, um, it's a, yeah. If the two-year-old was put in the world, then they will obviously inherit the portion that was given to them as per the will. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so... The maintenance part of it, you can only inherit from, from the estate while it's open. So, so I guess, I guess for the benefit of the Afropolitan, the, 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 you know, the question is, uh, and and I, and I get that, and and Begisisa uh, uh, and Debello are dead right, um, that the, the estate will devolve in accordance with the estate uh, uh, in accordance with the will, where there is a will, but where, they, where, where you choose to exclude somebody who is a child, um, um, then the law changes somewhat. And, and, and how, what, what approach the law takes is this. If you had a duty of maintenance when you're alive, um, that duty does not end on your death. It continues for as long as you have an estate that can, that can support those kids or, or that child. 
and how the law would then treat it is they would you'd have to get um, uh, 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 somebody to quantify how much the maintenance would be for the for the child concerned over a reasonable period of time to say up until the age of maybe 18 the child will need x amount in maintenance and that amount given that the the rights of the child are important that amount then gets extracted from the uh, bequest or the amount the the amount available in the estate and the mm-hmm. child is given preference and the other people can only share in what remains of course of course the courts would 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 look at the the needs of different Correct. kids because it doesn't mean even the ones that are included are entitled to maintenance are they not developed 100% mm. so 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 we've spoken a little bit about what happens when um i don't have a will and you've mentioned something about challenging a will what are the circumstances under which you can challenge a will um uh, uh, and maybe Pegasus, i'm not sure if you back on again but uh, uh, Maybe give it, give it a bash and we'll try to, to have Begasis as well. Maybe if we can have both lines on at the same time so we can have an engagement. Begasis, jump in at whenever you want. But Debelo, you take the first bite, if you will. From, um, from a case that uh, I know of firsthand, a will was challenged because at the time that the mother had executed the will, she was in hospital. Mm. So the challenge there was whether or not when she drafted the will, she was of sound mind. Sure. The attorney did come in and say, no, this woman was of sound mind and, um, you know, there was no power of attorney for this. She was doing well. Um, the medical practitioners had also advised that she was of sound mind to conclude this will. Yet as it may, her family, um, her siblings actually still disputed the validity of the will. Mm. So that's just one of the cases in which one can dispute the validity, excuse me. You can say the person was not of sound mind or they were under duress. Maybe somebody has a big family and says, if I don't inherit as per your will, I'm going to expose you for X, Y, Z. And then a person can um, inherit, can, can, can choose to be the sole beneficiary. And other members of the family can then contest that and say the person who executed the will was actually under, under jury at, at the time that they allowed this person to be the sole beneficiary. And, we, you know, if, even, you know, in this show, I was talking about, you know, attorneys being available to, to draft wills for, for members of the public for free. Mm-hmm. Um, but one wonders what is, you know, what is so special about, a will that I can't do it myself the way I would need the services of a lawyer. And, and, and I guess one wonders, you know, what, what's, in other words, what makes a will a will, you know, what, you know, if, if I write something at a, at a back of a cigarette box and I'd said, I'd like, um, you know, my kids, you know, I'd like whomever, you know, I'd like, uh, uh, Toby's in the studio here to get, uh, all of my state. Um, what what then makes that valid and and something done by a lawyer uh, more valid? I'm, I'm I'm sorry for the poor phrasing of the question. Yeah. The, the the drafting of a will is regulated by the Wills Act. Mm. So an attorney will then 
use that um, act as a template when drafting your will. And there are quite a lot of um, uh, requirements for validity of a will. But I have seen in case law that sometimes the the court is inclined to choose intention over form. Mm. So if it can be proved to a certain extent that even though this person wrote at the back of a serviette and certain formalities went ahead to, this was the intention of the deceased. And they can then distribute the deceased estate in, in accordance with whatever they had left on a piece of serviette or whatever the case was, to the exclusion of the formalities. Okay, Afropolitan, please don't write your will the back of a serviette. <laughs> it was just an example. Uh, any other requirements, Begisisa? Well, I, I think as much as... Uh the compliant is concerned, it's what she has uh, just said. It has to comply with uh, the wealth act. And uh, and obviously, the situation that I just heard around, mm. that people are being hard to make wills while they are not on their soap and sound dispenses, it's totally unacceptable. And obviously, that person has to make the proper decision in terms of uh, distributing uh, his or her estate. Uh, so they obviously, and she's also correct that the will, uh, the court obviously interprets the intention of the testator uh, when they look at the will. Uh, they interpret what the person that in, uh, died, what was his intention as far as his uh, distribution of his estate or her estate is concerned. Then they have that it's where they're going to be making the, the, the determination. Um, and there's absolutely no difference, and people should understand that. The only important thing is that the will has to comply with the uh, requirements of the will uh, act. It does not matter whether they will make it to the attorney or privately. Mm. As you might be well aware that there will be wills week from the 16th or to the 20th of September. Mm. And uh, people are encouraged to go to their to the attorneys. And uh, the legal practice act, uh, uh, the, le- the, 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 the or rather, law society has initiated a program whereby uh, attorneys that will be rendering the services to that nature that will be providing that service. Uh, so people are encouraged to go and make their wills, but they should understand that they are not allowed to amend the existing wills and also that. Uh, and now the trust wills is just only the simple wills that they, that they mm. can be allowed to do. So basically what I'm trying to say is that there's no difference. As much as you will, you understand that you have to want and what you want uh, to happen and complies with the act, then that's the will. Mm. It does not mean that the will is only valid if you make it to the attorney. As an individual, yes. study the act, comply with the requirements, and then that is fine. It's only the traffic document that is required, the original. And uh, when you die, make sure that the original is available to someone that is alive. Then it can be taken from there. Not that it should be an attorney that always that is going to be championing the interest of someone that is no longer available or that uh, of the deceased. Uh, so um, there's nothing else that is required uh, from people that... Uh, are required to make that is that uh, thing to happen while they are no longer there. Sure.
Sure. Let me thank both my guests and to you, Afropolitan. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, let me thank Debalo uh, Motwani as well as Begisisa Gotko. Begisisa Gotko is an attorney practicing at Begisisa Gotko and Company Incorporated. And Debalo Motwani is a founder of System and Law, but also a practicing attorney. For me, Michael Motwani and Bill, thank you so much for tuning into the Law Report. I look forward to being with you again next Wednesday. Good night.